the biggest heavy metal band in the world without a doubt no one can top them the new van halen is totally awesome we're band new yeah we're a new band that took an old name and just used it. new van halen's great compared to the old van halen who needs diamond dave i think they're trying to prove it now that dave's gone that they can do they can do just as good or better we're not out to really prove anything it's like we're we're all musicians there's no there's no vegas trip to it anymore you know i don't mean to put certain person down but it's like there's no more no more limits no more governor you know it's like just we can do anything we want well uh we had a toothache for about 11 years and uh, finally went to the dentist had it extracted and now we've got a, a a crown with a gold cap on it when dave quit the band alex mike and i were just pretty devastated really we were just sitting there going now what you know i mean here we've worked with a guy for 11 years so to speak and he just kind of like walked took off we were just a little bit uh no we weren't a little bit we were a lot pissed off we just came off a, a major tour in 1984 it was the best selling record we ever had it went to number two in billboard we had the first ever uh, number one single uh, every place we played we were sold out uh and we were just itching to go and do the next record because edward had written a lot of music and dave wanted to be a movie star about the only thing that I can say that that really ticked me off about the whole situation was that it was not told to us straight across the board. Well, it wasn't the creative part of working with him. I think we made some great music together. He was just living with the guy. He treated everybody like a li little lower than him, including us in the band. And, you know, that's not the way a band works. And now with Sammy, we're all, we're a band. We're really a band. We're all equal. Nobody's the big cheese so to speak and what i could never figure out is why he was the big cheese except for his attitude you know because al and i and mike were you know basically the driving force you know but he was good at the mouth <laughs>
So the end of one era and the beginning of a new era for Van Halen. And we start the Sammy Hagar years with the seventh studio album by Van Halen and 5150 in this album review. And so I've had my way now for six albums of David Lee Roth era stuff. And we've had a guest on with us each and every one of those episodes. And this episode is no different. A first time visitor to the Growing Up Rock podcast, but absolutely no stranger to me or Sonny. From the Potter and Hell podcast, BB, what's going on, BB? What's going on, my big brothers in podcasting land? Oh my God, I am honored to be here. I am tickled pink. I have no clue what to say or do, but I will let you guys take the rein. And honestly, thank you for having me. It's a it's a big honor to talk to you two bozos. Well, essentially, it was tough for me to find a partner that agreed with Hollywood that Hagar is good, but God bless you. I found you, and uh, it's going to be fun because Sonny hasn't had any allies through this entire thing, but God damn it, Sonny. Now you got a friend and a partner in crime that can halfway agree with you. I don't need any allies. Just put the album on. Like I'm not saying David Lee Ross stuff is bad. I'm just saying there ain't a damn thing he could do on this album. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> I think the minute he heard the keyboards, he was out because he knew he would have had to sing at some point. And those days were over for him. So 100%, 100%. I don't think he wanted to have anything to do with it. <laughs> it's easy to say that when you can't do it. <laughs> True. All Eddie had to do is get rid of Dave and get rid of Ted Templeton and boom, he's got, he's got a magic album here. Well, so needless to say, these album reviews thus far have been pretty pretty fair in my opinion on both sides and i really think that it's going to kind of continue i think people that are tuning into these album reviews to see somebody heavily dave or heavily sammy probably is not going to get it because i think that we can all agree that there is stuff throughout all the van halen errors that we all appreciate correct definitely 100 percent. i came in at a weird time i came in in 1984 so you get 1984 then you get this album so i'm stuck right in between both eras yeah you know i know that like steven you were right out of the gate with these guys so let's talk about that a little bit pb where does your history with van halen begin 1984 uh the song jump heard it on the radio never heard these guys before because at this time i'm still all kissed out from my cousin because uh, i have no older older siblings or younger siblings it was just me so i got a lot of my music from my cousin and my neighbors and Van Halen was really on no one's radar in Northeast Pennsylvania in my group. Heard Jump on the radio, loved it. So on the way home from school, I walked down to the local, it was like an Ames department store, and they had a record section. I bought the 45 of Jump. The B-side was House of Pain, another great song. And I liked House of Pain a lot more than Jump. But Jump was the popular song that got me into it. Then down the road, I bought the cassette. And this is the funny story with 1984 that I have. Uh, bought the cassette 1984, was with my mom, came home, and I was so excited. It was pretty much dinner time, and I'm like, can I just listen to this while we eat dinner? She's like, yeah, no problem. Don't keep it on, you know, 10. Keep it on 2, 3, keep it low. So I play, you know, 1984 comes on, Jump comes on, then Panama comes on. And, of course, the only time my mother's listening to this song is when Dave goes, reach down in between my legs and, ease the seat back boop that was it 
Mom got mad. Turn it off. I don't want to hear it. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty standard, really. And then I had to eat and go up in my room with my little tape player and listen to it up there. But that's the story of, of Van Halen for me. So it's interesting. If that's where you came in, why didn't you end up going backwards in the catalog? And why does 5150 hit so heavily with you? I did go back. I had an actual cassette. It was it was actually the Fair Warning and Women and Children First. It was on on a tape. One was on one side, one was on the other. I love the guitar work. I thought the guitar work was mind-blowing. Some of the songs were great, rocker, you know, right get you right in the gut. But then there were other songs that just didn't really thrill me. And I think it's just Dave's vocals, the way he would actually, you know, present it. You know, I don't want to say sing because he the way he presented it. It just didn't grab me vocally. But when Sammy came in and the synthesizer really was the instrument that really sucked me into this album, because you're thinking 1986, everything's big hair music, you know, a lot of synth is going on. Mm-hmm. And this is really the combination of the, the vocals, the synth, and the way Eddie played. It was, you know, it's like a, a perfect pizza with extra cheese on it. It would just really grab my eardrums like perfectly. Were you a Hagar fan before Sammy was in Van Halen? I was. My buddy's brother, who was a lot older than us, he had the Montrose records. Then Sammy came out with VOA. That was all over the radio. So we had that cassette as well. So we knew who Sammy was pretty much before we knew who Dave was until like 1984. It's funny that people talk about VOA when... I mean, maybe it's the age difference. I don't know. But nobody mentions like Stand in Hampton, which was my first Sammy record. Stand in Hampton and then Three Lot Box, which had some great stuff on it. And he had he had pretty mild success with Three Lot Box. Uh, Your Love is Driving Me Crazy and Three Lot Box. That was on that record. Uh, he had Heavy Metal from Stand in Hampton and One Way to Rock off Stand in Hampton. So you don't hear many people talk about that. It's more VOA. I can't drive 55, that type of stuff. And w- with Sonny, I understood that because it's the MTV era and that kind of stuff. Are you the same age as Sonny BB? Yeah, I was born in 72, December yeah. of 72. Okay. So he's younger. So yeah, the problem is standing Hampton has no videos. Yeah. They weren't on MTV. The only thing you right. saw on MTV was VOA and I can't drive 55. Yeah. Over and over and over, over and over, over and over and over again. Or you knew heavy metal from the movie. If you saw the movie, but if you're my age at that point, you're only 15 years old. So you haven't seen them. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. So before we go too much further, for those that are kind of just tuning in, maybe don't know BB, BB, tell us a little bit about the Potter and Hell podcast. We've had Steve Wright on. BC has been on when we've done like Mork reviews and stuff like that. So tell folks a little bit about the Potter and Hell podcast. Yeah, there's uh, four of us. Uh, three of us work at the local fire department. We're uh, professional firefighters. Uh, it's Steve, uh, BC, myself, and the pretty much the brains behind the operation, Dylan. He does the recording and the editing. And pretty much if it's not for Dylan, you know, he is a big part of our production, our editing, everything. You know, thank God for Dylan. But uh, we drop our episodes every Friday afternoon. We are pretty much like you guys. You guys are you know, only a couple weeks ahead of us. That's why I like to call you our big brother. Uh, we just uh, recorded our 2003rd episode, and we pretty much covered a lot of stuff like you guys. We do the anywhere from ACDC to ZZ Top, I like to say, and everybody in between. It's just a 
you know, interviews and game shows and reviews and set lists and dream set lists of live concerts. We, we, we touch a lot of stuff and we go through a lot of music. Yeah. I can't imagine that anybody that listens to us or listens to you guys doesn't know about the two podcasts because we've both been on each other's shows many, many times. Either Steve's been over here or Sonny or myself have been over there. And just a minor correction, it hasn't been 2003 episodes. It's been 203 episodes because <laughs> people might think, good God, these guys have been recording you know, since podcasts have been invented. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> No, 203 episodes, not 2003 episodes. Well, let's get into this uh, discussion. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So some basic facts about Van Halen's 5150. Released on March 24th, 1986, doing what Van Halen has always done, which is pretty much getting ready to prep people with the summer album. Van Halen is so good about putting out those summer albums. Recorded in November through February, 85 through 86. So November 85 through February of 86, they record it. They recorded the record at 5150 Studios, California. Length of the record is 4314. The label is Warner Brothers. And the producer this time is no Ted Templeman to be seen. The first album without Ted Templeman. Producer is Mick Jones of Foreigner fame. Don Landy Engineering and Van Halen gets a producer credit as well. So they kind of split the producer credits between Mick, Don, and Van Halen. Don Landy, to folks, has been a longtime engineer. He was there from the beginnings, kind of Ted Templeman's protege, and he's getting a producer credit on this record. They've sold six million copies of the album thus far. Let's talk about the cover artwork a little bit. So the artwork features an art deco depiction of Atlas kneeling while holding a mirror polished metallic sphere on his shoulders. The model for the album was an ESPN bodybuilder, Rick Valentine. I don't know who that is. The Van Halen logo is wrapped around the sphere. The title of the album appears on a placard on a chain around Atlas's neck. The back cover of the album depicts Atlas character collapsed with the sphere dropped and broken open, revealing the band inside. All tracks were written by Eddie, Alex, Sammy, Michael. What do you guys think about this album cover? BB? I think this may be the only thing that's wrong with the album. I think the album cover is a little weak. I don't understand, like, is it like a new world we're breaking into and they're coming out of the world? Or I just spun the um, LP last night. And when you take that sleeve out, the most beautiful picture of the new designed Van Halen logo with the rings around it are the one main picture on the record sleeve, which I thought would have been an amazing cover. Just slap that new cover on there with the rings on it. Just let everybody decide for themselves. Instead of this muscle guy with the Van Halen necklace and holding a spear, just the album cover is just not the greatest in my opinion. Sonny, what do you think? For the longest time, I thought it was Lou Ferrigno. Right. I don't, you know, who knows it's a bodybuilder dude. You don't know. And if you're growing up in our generation, an incredible Hulk is still running reruns on TV. Right. So if you're a superhero guy, you, you think it's Lou Frigno. I don't particularly like this cover. I wish the cover was 
the cover that was on the Why Can't This Be Love single, which is the four guys in straight jackets. Mm-hmm. I thought that would have been a great cover for 5150, and this placard could be around Eddie's neck instead. You know what I mean? It would have gone with the theme of 5150, right? For people that don't know, 5150 right. is a California code for insane, correct? I think that's the uh, correct. Yep. Yeah, if you put that on the front, then on the back, you can do you know something on stage or whatever. Yeah. Or they're breaking out of the straight jackets. Let me ask you this. Would you guys have liked this album cover a little bit better if the Atlas was a female bodybuilder? With big boobies. How you doing? Yes. Without without saying. We would have bought two covers. (laughs) That would have probably been a little bit more Dave than Sammy, right? I don't know whose idea this is. It's just a bad idea. It really, it doesn't depict what's actually musically in this album. That's for sure. I like the new logo. The new logo is kind of cool. I thought the new logo around thing, I think the colors are cool. The kind of emerald green and and stuff like that, I think is uh, kind of cool. I even tried to find who redesigned that logo, and I couldn't, I couldn't find anything on why, how, who, nothing. Yeah, it's interesting, not willing to change the name, which I don't think they should have changed the name, honestly. And there's no record company exec that wants to change the name either, so that's stupid. But changing the logo is ingenious, honestly, because you can sell a whole new set of merchandise for every Van Halen fan that already had the stuff with the old logo. You know what I mean? So it gives you a new lease on life, I guess. It's like adding a character to Kiss almost. Right. Because now you have the fans from Sammy solo stuff coming over. Now you have the Van Halen fans and the Sammy fans combining sales and buying all this new logo stuff. One of the things I find that's interesting is that all four of them are credited with writing credits on this record, but we know from history that they basically took Michael Anthony out of the publishing deal of Van Halen. Now, maybe writing credits is different than publishing, but usually they go hand in hand. They probably, you know, they had to give Sammy a piece of the publishing. There was no way Sammy was going to not do it without publishing. So I'm wondering uh, how... Michael worked back into the publishing part of that, or if he did, I don't know. It's interesting because there's stuff out there that that's more of a Dave move than it was an Eddie move. So did the publishing thing end at 84 and said, okay, everything before 84 or just 84, you're not getting. And then when Sammy joins in, they're splitting everything four ways again. According to Noel Monk in his book, he said that that was a total Van Halen brothers move that it was not Dave, but Dave went kind of along with it, but it was instigated by the Van Halen brothers. And basically after 1984 had already been released, we know up until this point that they split everything four ways, uh, which made, made them all very rich, but Michael really wasn't doing much writing. It was pretty much Eddie and, Dave that did all the writing, right? Dave did all the lyrics and he did all the music. So when 84 came out and it was a success, they basically said, we're redoing your deal, Michael Anthony. We're taking the publishing away from you for 1984 retroactive to the release of 1984, which is, that's really an awful move if that's true. And then everything going forward, uh, were taken. So, Basically, Michael gets publishing on the first five Van Halen records and then everything after not. And that's that's the way it was 
laid out in No Monk's book. So take it for what it's worth. He was the manager at the time. I would think that he would know. There's no real reason for him to sugarcoat it or lie about it, I wouldn't think so. Before we get into the tracks here, growing up in the San Francisco Bay, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new into my musical realm here. I'm starting to watch MTV in 84. Paul's jumping through hoops as, you know, Dave's singing about jump. So Van Halen doesn't really get me right now. Van Halen didn't really get me until Hot for Teacher. By that time, I'd already seen I Can't Drive 55. So I was already a Sammy fan. And Sammy was on the radio here constantly because he's from here. So by the time there's an announcement that Sammy's going to join Van Halen, which made me super happy because I love Sammy. There was already rumors on rock radio here that Sammy was going to join Van Halen. Now, whether that's true or not, you know, whether they knew something that everybody else didn't know, who knows, but it was already kind of bubbling at least here. Right. So I got this record on day one. I got it on a cassette and, uh, listened to it like crazy, honestly. But so let's start with the first song. Good enough. So, Okay, maybe the mistake is don't start with Sammy. Like it goes, hello, baby, and then the horsey walk, right? So maybe you hit the note first, and then he says, hello, baby. I don't know. It's like it's almost like you're trying too hard to show everybody, okay, Sammy's here. So, <laughs> BB, what did you think the first time you heard Good Enough? I thought it was a dig back to Dave. You, know, you hear, hello, baby. So... I always thought is like, ha ha, you're out. I'm in. Look at me. This is my gig now. And that's where I took that song. And just that thing, I'm like, right when I heard him, like, oh, he's poking fun at Dave. Here we go. <laughs> but I love this opening song. I think this is great. What really catches my ear with this song is the beginning main riff. And then like right after the main riff, Eddie does does like a finger tapping thing. Then it'll be like the main riff again. Then it'll hit the whammy bar again. And then it'll hit the, do the main riff again. And then there's like a slow finger slide he does just in that first 25 seconds after, after you hear Sammy. And that always caught like my ear just because you're not used to, you're used to just hearing, hearing the main riff of the song over and over and over. After every riff ending, there was just something little different that he threw in there. And that almost pretty much carries on through the whole song. So especially after like the a couple line verses, the main riff is playing behind the, the actual lyric. And then right as Sammy stops, there's some more, you know, crazy finger tapping, sliding that goes on in there. But great opening song. Almost... You're still wondering. It still has a great rock feel to it. Sammy vocals on this are, are, are spot on. Screaming his head off. The solo is amazing, of course, right out of the box. And even the the, the closing line, I think, is hilarious when, when he screams out, good enough, too. And he goes, and then he says, love. And you're like, ah, Sammy. Sammy's the lover. But love this opening track. Fantastic, fantastic opener for me. Hello, baby. Yeah, 
Yeah, Stephen, like Sammy gets uh, a little bit of flack for the lyrics, right? That Dave was this, you know, double entendre, really cool lyricist, and Sammy's too to the point, and and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have that Van Halen flair. But this first song's not that way. Like U.S. Prime, Grade A stamp, guaranteed. Grease it up, turn on the heat. You got to throw it down, roll it over once, maybe twice, and then chow down, 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 down. That's very David Lee Roth, right, Stephen? Who doesn't like a trip to Ruth Chris Steakhouse? I do. You guys, you like Ruth Chris? Good stuff. (laughs) Okay, so before I go into this, let me give a little bit of backstory with my history and this record, because anybody that's listened to the podcast knows I'm a Dave guy. I came in at fair warning. I went forward and I went backward and I became a huge Van Halen fan in that era. So at the time they broke up, I'd seen 1984, the tour, the tour was successful. The album was successful. The band breaks up as a, I don't know, whatever age I was at that point, 16, 17 years old, I was hurt. I mean, as a fan, I was hurt. I'm just being honest with you. And so the other issue was, is that I seem to recall Sammy and Dave in these magazine feuds before he even left Van Halen. Like they hated each other before he even left Van Halen. I remember they used to go back in a war of words in magazines and stuff because there was no social media back then, obviously. But anyway, I didn't want to hear Sammy was in the band. I didn't care what they put out. I just I wasn't going to be a fan no matter what. And I didn't give it a chance. And that's just being as honest as I can. We'll see the history as I go with this record. But getting back to the song Good Enough, in my opinion, if they would have released this song first as the single, it would have not alienated as many David Lee Roth fans as releasing Why Can't This Be Love as the first single. I really think Good Enough is as close as you can get to the old Van Halen. And I like the song a lot. Like I've come around to giving this album a chance over the years and good enough is killer. I love the song. I think it rocks. Uh, And it's right in par with, you know, one way to rock and that kind of stuff from the Sammy Hagar solo era. So that's my opinion of this song. And yes, it's, it's very straight to the point. Dave, like, old Dave lyrics, basically. So the next track, Why Can't This Be Love? Obviously the first single, like we just mentioned. Difference here is, it's very interesting. The first song, if you're willing to give it a chance and you are a classic Van Halen fan, you are pretty happy that it's not keyboard heavy. Because the last first single, right, or the last first song you heard on the last album was keyboard heavy, right? So you're probably happy. Then you hear the second song on this album, And maybe every classic Van Halen fan is looking for a bridge to jump off of. But I think it's a great song. BB, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is where the love I have for guitar and synthesizer or guitar and piano. If there's a song that I hear and has a piano in in a main guitar riff, I'm sucked right in. I love that. And I think it stems back all the way to this album because I am in love with this song.
think it screams like like that van halen hair pop metal that i think eddie was trying to reach he wanted to do synthesizers all the way back in diver down you know ted and and dave didn't want that i think they released this song because eddie said you know what we're evolving this is what i want to do now i want you to see what i can do on a synthesizer you know i'm just not this guitar god i can also make the synthesizer scream as well I love the scat part in this song that that Sammy does. I think that's really, really cool. And then once again, this is what really Eddie wants. And I think this is what the brothers wanted. So this is why it's released. And they didn't have Ted and Dave to stop it. Oh, gnarly. Yeah, it's an interesting situation because, as you said, they're kind of evolving, right? So this is the new us. If you release either Good Enough or Get Up or Summer Nights as the first album, then you get a whole bunch of, well, Sammy's just trying to be Dave. Right. So you got to do something. But what's interesting is the first single that Dave releases a few months later is Yankee Rose. So when I'm thinking about it just now, I'm like, you know what? Steve Vai was more accepted helping Dave than Sammy was helping Eddie. Right. I think they saw Vai as no competition to Eddie. Doesn't matter. It's two different people where Sammy was going to be competition to Dave no matter what, because the guy's different. So your thoughts on this song, Stephen? Uh, this song is not a favorite of mine. I've said it before. I really, really dislike the keyboard sound, not necessarily the keyboard, but the keyboard sound to me, that main synthesizer riff throughout the song sounds like a kazoo to me. It just, I don't like it at all. So I'm not a huge fan of this song and it didn't help that this was the first thing I heard off this record. So no, I'll pass on that. (laughs) <laughs> All right, before, before we get to the next track, by the way, why why can't this be love? Topped out at number three. Just to give you an idea of what the top 10 was on that week. Number 10 was Addicted to Love, Robert Palmer. Great song. 
Number nine was If You Leave by OMD, which is actually a pretty good song, too. Number eight was Bad Boy by the Miami Sound Machine. Seven was Take Me Home by Phil Collins. Six was Your Love by The Outfield. Like, these are some pretty classic 80s songs. Number five was Live to Tell by Madonna. Number four was What Have You Done For Me Lately, Janet Jackson. Three was Why Can't This Be Love. They could not get to number two, which was West End Girls by Pet Shop Boys. And there was no way they were going to touch number one because the greatest love of all, Whitney Houston, is absolutely controlling the charts at that point. So basically it was them and Robert Palmer and maybe the outfield is the representing rock uh, stuff, right? Yeah, at this point anyway, yeah. The problem with the 80s is any rock band that had hits in the 80s had to go up with competition. George Michael, Richard Marks, Phil Collins, Hart, like Madonna, Michael Jackson, Prince, like these icons of music that are icons that could fill stadiums today that are still around are all the ones that had to fight it. Yeah. And that was MTV driven at that point as well. All right. So next track, Get Up. So if you're thinking, okay, three tracks so far, Good Enough maybe represents Eddie's still here, but I haven't gone all keyboard yet. And Why Can't This Be Love goes, we still write hits. We don't have Dave anymore. Then I guess Get Up to me is, this is the new Sammy Van Halen, uncontrollable, this is what the energy is going to feel like when we really let it loose. There's a lot of people that don't like this song because there's too many things going on. But I think, B.B., you would agree with me. There ain't no damn way Roth can sing one note on this song. <laughs> the only thing the, this song has that contains the Roth is the era of rocking music that they had back in. Because this screams the new Hagar. We may be the new band, but we can still rock out like the old Van Halen. You know, don't worry about the synthesizer. We can still rock. And this song easily is that representative of the old stuff, just like Good Enough. I thought Good Enough was also a good representative of how they sounded. And Get Up is just as good. The song is like super fast right out of the gate. That tempo that they're setting with Alex and Michael are spot on. There are certain points when I hear Alex play the drums on this song, it is like, I swear to God, like he's at time and a half at some at some points of this song. You hear him, he is flying on those skins. And then once again, you got that crazy guitar solo again. I don't know how Eddie didn't break a thousand whammy bars off this song. This song is so whammy bar heavy. It is unbelievable. Once again, I love this song. And this screams the old Van Halen that maybe it's one of those songs that get the old people in here. But I love this song. Fantastic.
Yeah, Steven, I get it, right? Why can't this be love? Sammy's bringing the love into Van Halen. I got you. But two out of the three are old, straight-up Van Halen tunes, right? You like this song? So Get Up, I saw somebody post in uh, social media the other day that they thought Get Up was one of the heaviest Van Halen songs ever written. It is heavy, and yes, I do. I like this song a lot. I'm going to talk for just a minute to my guitar aficionado listeners out there for just a second. So... One of the things that BB just alluded to about the whammy bar and some of the crazy shit that's going on in this song, this was Eddie's introduction to the Steinberger guitar. And what the Steinberger guitar had that was new to the industry at the time were these tremolo systems, these whammy bar, as you call them, systems that they were the guitars without the headstock. So remember they had the weird bodies and uh, I think uh, Vito Brada played one for a long time. Eddie experimented one and he had the Frankenstein print on it. It was really, I hated those guitars. I thought they were ugly as shit. Didn't like them at all, but they had these tremolo systems on that kind of dropped the notes and kept everything in key. And so he was able to do whammy weird shit with the chords and not just a note. Uh, and some guitar expert out there can go into much greater detail than I can. I'm not a guitar player. I just remember selling them at the music store that I worked at. And that's why I know about them. But I hated that era of Van Halen with the Steinbergers and the hammer pants, the pink hammer pants that Eddie wore. I couldn't stand it. It drove me nuts. But this song as a whole uh, is good. I like this song. Yes. All right, so we go to the fourth track. <laughs> so the first track, if a classic Van Halen fan gave it a chance, they were okay. They got to Why Can't This Be Loved. They're like, Ugh. Then they hear Get Up, and maybe they get back off off the ledge. Okay, Van Halen's okay. And then Dreams comes on. They get back on the ledge and basically just jump. <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's it. My guess is there is thousands upon thousands of these albums sitting out there in people's collections that were classic Van Halen fans that never got past track four because at this point they just gave up on Van Hagar altogether. I think it's a beautifully crafted pop masterpiece. BB, what do you think? Yes, 100%. And I'm always surprised about this song. It was so popular, like within the Van Hagar circle, like it only made it to 22 on, on the Billboard, you know, top one, 100, which. I was very surprised to to read that. I I figured it was another top 10. But 22 was weird because this is always the song that people recognize, you know, pretty much one of the top songs that people recognize off of the Hagar era. But this is the song that Dave can't sell. I read it somewhere that Sammy said he thinks this is his best vocal performance just because Mick Jones always pushed him to reach a higher level with his vocals when they recorded the song. And I think they hit the nail right on the head, spot on. This song is fantastic for 1986 radio era. 
And Stephen, uh, you know, Phoebe's right. The song could have done better. The issue is the Blue Angels video is probably the only reason he even got to number 22. You have to put the band in the video if you want this thing to do better because it has number one potential. I don't know with Whitney Houston on the chart if it does, but you can't not do a real video here. And that's why I think Dreams only got to number 22 even. I actually disagree with you on that, and here's why. I think the Blue Angels did more for this song and the video than the band could have ever done. The Blue Angels appeal to a really diverse and large group of people. Most everybody knows who the world-famous Blue Angels are. As a kid growing up in Florida, that was a huge deal to me, the blues. And that's why I identified with this song immediately. I think it's a great ballad. The solo is incredible. It really is a good song. Now, at the time when it was released, probably didn't like it because, you know, I didn't want to hear none of that slow shit. But overall, this song, looking back on it, really is just a solid written, I don't know if it's a ballad, it's just a slower tune. Uh, And I think the Blue Angels did a lot to help this get as much as it did get, definitely. Yeah, then they even had to, then they actually redo the video. There's a second video, I believe it may be right around the time when they did their live album. And I think they did some kind of contest. They only let like 200 people in the Whiskey A Go-Go and they redid Dreams recorded from the Whiskey. You can see all the people lined up outside the place. The cops are all over the place. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with what you said, Sonny, not having the band in the video. But there is a second video, Two Dreams, out there. I think even on Wikipedia today, there, there are two videos. One's the Blue Angels, and the other one is is from a whisk, from the Whiskey A Go-Go. It may be from the live right here, right now promo that they try to get that album out. Yeah, which puts it six years after the fact. Right, right. right. Yeah. But I'm just back to you saying, you know, doing the video with, with the band in it. The band is in that one. It's just, like you said, it's just maybe a little too late. I will tell you this. You were referencing that Sammy said he thought this was one of the best vocal performances he's ever done. A while back, I interviewed a new UK artist, Chez Kane. She does a lot of the YouTube videos and things like that. She does covers of YouTube videos. She has her own career as well. But when I asked her what was one of the more difficult covers that she did, she talked about dreams being really, really tough to sing in that register the entire song. She said that was a difficult vocal for her to do. And she's a good singer. Check out her uh, cover version of Dreams out there on YouTube. So the last song on side one, Summer Nights, dude, every time that huh at 16 seconds, I look forward to it because I know there is a killer song coming up. And then he does it again four minutes later. And I look forward to it again. This is just super fun song. And supposedly, and BB, I don't know if you heard this too. Summer Nights and Dreams were supposedly given to Dave, and Dave passed on both songs. Wow. Well, of course, you know, he couldn't sing them, you know. You know. <laughs> no, th- th- these are too difficult for Dave to sing. You know, if he can jump around the stage and maybe do his spoken word for five or six lines, and then forget the next eight lines and just let the band play and him just strut around and it's twirly whirly i think it would work for him but yeah this is another this may be my favorite 
song on the album just because it reminds me of back in the day, being back in high school, hanging out with my friends. Being in Northeast Pennsylvania, we used to party in the woods all the time. There would be 40 to 60 people in the woods around the keg just drinking, meeting in town, going up to the woods. This song for me screams my childhood a little bit later from 1986, but uh, just still a great song, great closer for that side. And this is where I'm on the opposite side of Steven on this one. And I wrote down the Steinbacher on this song, the distortion that he's using, that greedy distortion is so amazing. You know, it's not, it wasn't heard of anywhere in my catalog of music back in 19, till 1986. This song screams fantastic summer, fun time. And they knew what they were doing, releasing this song, you know, releasing this album in the summer. They, they were probably hoping this song was going to push just like all the other ones. And it just, I don't think it got the airplay that it, it deserves. Say it with me, BB Steinberger. Steinberger. Oh, did I say Steinbacher? Yeah, you you combine the Steinberger guitar with the Rickenbacker guitar. That's <laughs> a Steinbacher. I'm gonna start writing that down. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go in my basement and just you know whittle that together. I, <laughs> I may have something. You know. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know what? Weird story here, but it just kind of makes sense on this song. I'm a huge Andy Griffith fan. I always was as a kid. I don't know why. Right. It was a show that was always on. It's on reruns. I used to watch it all the time. I remember the first time hearing this song. I'm like, did he just say, I got a line? You got that pole? Let's go down to the old fishing hole. I'm like, why is he using Andy Griffith lyrics in the song? But then I'm thinking, is I got a line, Coke, and you got that pole is your dick? And the fishing hole's the bar? Like, I'm not exactly sure what it's supposed to mean. So, Steven, clear that up for me. Dude, I have no clue. <laughs> I'll start with saying that Summer Nights is a windows down summer song. It's basically what Van Halen does best, right? They're all about the summer songs that make you feel good. And that's what Summer Nights is. I actually think Dave could sing this song. He could sing it in his own way and it would be delivered probably much differently. I don't think Dave could sing dreams. In fact, I know Dave couldn't sing dreams. There's just everybody knows yeah, he can't sing. Yeah, there's dreams. no that's not a Dave song. There's no way for him to deliver the lyrics to that. But Summer Nights, I think that Dave would deliver in his own way and it would still be good and still be fun. But yeah, just a good summer song. Pardon the bun.
So the first song on the second side, Best of Both Worlds, every time I hear this song, all I can picture is the walk that they do on Live Without a Net. You know, that Live Without a Net tape, man. Just seeing Sammy play guitar too now, Eddie can do whatever he wants, basically. God, that version of Only One Way to Rock on Live Without a Net. Like, Eddie's just basically soloing through the whole three and a half minutes, right? Because he's got a guitar getting laid down by Sammy, which is awesome. And then, you know, obviously you got to love the Backstreet Boy mic that uh, Sammy's got there. But, uh, you know. That is what it is. Best of both worlds. Great song, right, BB? Yes, sir. Definitely. Always enjoyed this song. And it really grasped the time of Sammy joining the band because he's coming off an amazing world tour with VOA. And then Van Halen's coming off their tour from 1984. You know, he wants the best of both worlds. He's almost torn of, do I stay solo? Do I jump on Van Halen? I always thought this Best of Both Worlds songs was something towards that of his struggle of thinking about it. Because I know there there was an article that he said that Warner Brothers had to buy his contract from Geffen Records. And, and Warner Brothers said, you are costing me a ton of money. Make sure this works. So this song, you know, has has bits and pieces of his best of both worlds of does he stay does he go but a fantastic song and that live without a net sunny to bring that up oh my gosh from front to back that that is an amazing concert um i remember recording that off my vhs tape onto a tape just to listen into my player it was that good that concert probably is the best concert for me on tape ever love that show
And even the pink parachute pants, Stephen Michael. I think I'm going to buy you a pair for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just tell you, this is part of the reason that Van Halen fans, Dave era Van Halen fans, really, really had an issue with this band. There were so many things that the band did to alienate their original fans. It started with the whole Sammy thing. It didn't help with the why can't this be love and the love songs. And it sure as hell didn't help with freaking bright colored parachute pink pants and Don Johnson shirts and Backstreet Boy head mics. Come on, man. This band was the total epitome of how to pussify a rock band in 1986 and that's just the bottom truth i mean it really did not help do that i digress we'll get into some of this stuff a little bit later on but none of that stuff helped the situation at all (laughs) (laughs) but it was all right when when paul stanley wore his tight leopard bandana pants and it was okay that roth had assless chaps and yankee rose (laughs) So you were better off seeing Roth with ass hanging out. 
When I think of asses, woman's ass, something comes out of me. <laughs> I wish he would have wore the parachute pants. I didn't need the ass. Roth anymore. had the assless chaps going back to freaking fair warning, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but the real uh, question is, where is Stephen Michael's assless chaps? Oh, my God. They don't make them that big. <laughs> <laughs> they do. And I'll be wearing them for you on the Monsters of Rock Cruise in 2021. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, Stephen, before this, uh, before you talk about best of both worlds here, you know, kind of what BB brought up, they buy his contract. He still had to do a, a recording for Geffen. He does later on. Then there was stories about, you know, Sammy's talking about, well, you know, I was making actually more money than having to split with these four guys. Like he was saying that in interviews. But reality of the situation was Sammy was doing okay, but he was doing okay in certain regions of the states. Not He was not, first of all, countrywide, let alone worldwide. He was not that. So I believe Van Halen did just as much for Sammy as Sammy did for Van Halen. Right. It was a that is the best of both worlds, in my opinion. And it probably did cost Warner Brothers a bunch of money. What do you think? A hundred percent. You're dead on. He actually owed Geffen two records. Right. So he recorded the one with the Eagle song on it. That was the one he owed him the studio record. And then he released the uh, the double disc greatest hits with high hopes and uh, uh, the other one on it. He also owed him that, and that's what fulfilled his contract. And yeah, it cost him a shitload, but let me just tell you that it was a fair enough investment because he made Warner Brothers plenty of money through Van Halen. And yes, Van Halen made him more of a household name than he ever would have done on his own. That's without a doubt. It was a beautiful makeover. It was good for both parties involved. There's no doubt about it. What do you think about the song? Yeah, Best of Both Worlds is a great song. In fact, to me, one ends the first side in Summer Nights, and then Best of Both Worlds starts the second side. And honestly, both those songs to me are sort of brother-sister songs. They kind of, not that they sound like one another, but they do remind me of one another. So I like them both. So then we go to what many say is the first Van Halen ballad. You could say Dreams is a ballad, but people really believe Love Walks In is the first Van Halen ballad. That guitar solo is, it's almost as if Eddie's playing it going, this song's going straight to the radio, baby. I cannot go crazy on this song because I want it on pop radio. I want it on top 40. I want it everywhere. And it's crafted really well. It wasn't a huge hit. And I don't know, you know, supposedly Sammy, he was telepathically linked to aliens in 68. That's where the idea of the song came up. You can't believe half the shit Sammy says, to be honest with you. I think he's done too much hash, drank too much tequila to remember most of that stuff. But I really like the song. BB, your thoughts? I enjoy it as well. And just like you said, I, I never understood when he said this is about aliens. I'm like, aliens? Love walks in? Like, I never, still to this day, I still don't understand the aliens part of it. But it's such a radio-friendly, emotional, vocal performance that Sammy puts on with this. And like you said, that you have the synth and the guitar solo in it is just, it screams radio. It screams 1986. This is what people wanted to hear in 1986. And I really think they, they hit this one out of the park with the song.
What's interesting, Stephen, is Sammy was not known for ballads. So everybody's like, oh, Sammy brought the ballads, and that's what ruined Van Halen. Sammy was not known for ballads in his solo career. He was known for his rocking songs. So I'm assuming, Stephen, you absolutely hate this song. Funny you say that. Remember how I was talking about the keyboard sound on why this can't be love and how cheesy and kazooie it is, and I just I hate it, and that's one of the things that turned me off about the song. It's the opposite with Love Walks In. The keyboards in this song, the sounds that he's using, the massive chord structures, sounds awesome. And to me, pound for pound of the slower tunes on this record, I actually like Love Walks In the best. I like the groove that it kind of slips into. It's almost a kind of a keyboard bass as well that's playing alongside. I just, I like that groove a lot. I think the lyrics are good. I don't know about the whole alien thing. I mean, he mentions alien, but he, the way I took it was the feeling of love being alien to somebody more so than an actual alien. (laughs) So I don't know about all that, but I think it's a great tune. I think it's well-constructed, like you said. I love the solo in this song. I think it's fantastic. And yeah, there you go. And I'm surprised Valerie Bertinelli didn't get some kind of credit on this album because all this love stuff is all about her anyway. We don't know that. (laughs) We don't know that. True. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So then we get to the second to last song, 5150. Supposedly the last two songs, depending on how you read the lyrics, are messages to Dave. So here we go. I don't know why it's called 5150. I would have named it either Never Satisfied or Half the Way. But, BB, what do you think about 5150? This song carries the album for me. This is definitely like a number two spot for me. The solo in this song is just sick bananas. The chugging opening first minute that that they're doing is fantastic. Um, Sammy's vocals in this song seem like they're even a little bit higher, more screaming, if you would, than the rest of the songs. But uh, this is another one of those songs that, that goes back to Get Up and Good Enough. This is another song that screams, you know, we didn't lose our roots. This song still kicks ass, you know, and, you know, we can still rock out. And this is definitely proof of, of that. Yeah, Stephen, whether you believe it or not, like, I feel like a running politician just trying to please you all the time. Always one more. You're never satisfied. Instead of one for all with you, it's only one for me. When I draw the line, meet you half the way, but you don't know what that means. That sounds like Dave to me. Stephen, what do you think? I'm still trying to get past sick bananas. (laughs) 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 Apparently, our our guest host is uh, Grape Ape. I don't know. (laughs) 
Great babe. Great babe. Great babe. Great babe. Yeah, it definitely sounds uh it sounds a lot like Dave, especially because I'll tell you, while I was doing research today, I went and uh watched an old uh interview with uh the band right after uh dave left for this album as a matter of fact and everything that's in this lyric that you just read out was exactly what ed said about dave so <laughs> i think that that is a hundred percent true i absolutely love this pop gem because it is a pop gem 5150. I think that it's an underrated song that nobody talks about. It's definitely a deep track. Uh, it wasn't a hit or a single or, you know, any of that stuff, but it just feels good. And I like the beginning intro with this pop feel and the chord structures and it's, it's peppy and it's poppy. And then it falls into this groove that essentially I think they probably ripped off from zeppelin right they ripped off this um whole lot of love riff a little bit they changed it and uh moved it up a step i think but it's um you know that that groove you know that's a whole lot of love right and it's just uh it's a great tune i dig this song a lot i like the background vocals i can't say enough good stuff about the song 5150 it's good stuff
And then the last song on the record, Inside. All right, BB. So if I say, let me tell you these lyrics. Now, listen here. It's not what you are. It's how you dress. That's one thing I learned from these guys. I must confess. I got this job not just being myself. I went out. I bought some brand new shoes. And now I'll walk like someone else. That sounds like Dave, too. What do you think, VV? I, I think it's another dig. I think you go from, from the opening of Good Enough to the closer of Inside. I think it's just another dig at Dave. Uh, and there's so many things in the background that they're saying. Like, you're, you're trying to, uh, where'd you get that shirt? Oh, you may have been your wife's closet and JC Penney's. And they, they go on and on and on. And I think this is still Van Halen trying or doing what they like to do. They're having fun. They're probably all plastered. And this may have been maybe a filler to balance out the album or just them just having a good time and, you know, just going with it. And just, you know what? We're all loaded. Let's throw the tape on and do some stuff and, and see what comes out. And I think that's what that was. But this, I'm always a sucker for an opening and a closer of an album. And I think, I wish they kind of buried this song somewhere else because it's not the greatest closer for me. Steven, I think we've talked about it before, but just in case we haven't, I think it was kind of unfair to Dave, honestly. Eddie and Sammy talked a lot of shit about Dave in the late 80s. I'm not sure Dave really played back. He would just kind of joke it off, blah, blah, blah. He wasn't taking a lot of shots. It seemed like it was very one-sided, and Dave was just kind of taking it and moving on and having his fun. Reading all the stuff off of Edom and Smile, it doesn't look like Dave's any taking any shots of Van Halen. That's for sure. So your thoughts on that? End the song, by the way. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. We definitely have talked about in the past. It seems like Dave sort of took the high road. It's not that he didn't ever say anything nasty about the Van Halen brothers, but I think he kind of took the high road, whereas there were a lot of interviews at the time with all of the band, except for minus maybe Mikey, what that, you know, just really had kind of nasty things to say about Dave. I know the interview I watched today, it was all three of them, uh, Sammy, Alex, and Ed, just saying kind of nasty things about Dave. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of the stuff that they were saying has been since debunked from people around the band. So if you read Noel Monk's book or you read one of Greg Renoff's books, uh, Ted Templeman book or the, um, the Van Halen Rising book, there's a lot of stuff in those books that basically contradicts stuff that Ed and Alex were saying. I mean, by all accounts, Dave was the driving force behind the band in the early years. He's what drove them to you know, dress differently and to have a show and to present themselves in a different way, which they weren't doing just playing cover songs for a long time. So I don't know, unfair, probably it's all water under the bridge at this point, obviously to the song inside. It's just a weird tune. It's kind of a waste of space on an album for me. It's like watching a train wreck in a lot of ways. I mean, there's some stuff that kind of drew me into not turning it off because it's interesting enough to where you want to listen, but it's a five minute song. To me, it's just, it's just filler. I mean, with a capital F.
Why not fill this space with something like Up for Breakfast or something that was probably around at the same time? I saw the interview today. They said they wrote 50 songs, five zero songs for this album. Are you telling me that none of the rest of those songs is better than Inside? Bullshit. That was a waste of space. <laughs> All right. So that's the nine songs on the album. BB, if you had to pick top two, bottom two, what would be your top two and what would be your bottom two? Easily, Inside would be on the probably the bottom. And believe it or not, I think I'm going to say best of both worlds, but easily top two, 50, 150, and good enough. Yeah. And even get up there, you know, they're most top three for me, but it's an easier one for a bottom two. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steven, how about you? My top two are going to be Good Enough and 5150. And my bottom two are going to be Why Can't This Be Love and Inside. Yeah. I love this album top to bottom. Bottom two was tougher for me, but the two that I probably listen to the least are Inside and Get Up. But the top two for me are Dreams and Summer Nights. Do Dreams is. That song could have been done 10 times over in the last 25 years. I don't know why people, I don't, it could have been a pop hit. It could have been a country hit. Could have been a movie soundtrack hit. There's, there's some misses there. It's funny when I was going through this record and I knew that I was going to have to come up with my top two and bottom two. As I listened to the record, good enough was always going to be one of the top two because I, I knew that that song was a big thing with me from the get go. But I got to summer nights and I said, well, summer nights probably going to be my, my number two song. Cause I'm a big fan of summer nights. I'm a big fan of the summer sound, so to speak. Uh, but then I got to 5150 towards the end of the record and I was like, God, I forgot how good this song is. I really, really love this song. And, uh, and that, that kind of moved out 
summer nights and uh, I replaced it because I felt like it was a deep enough track that I wanted to give it a little bit more exposure. So I was surprised that BB, it was a big song for you as well in this thing. Is this a desert island record for you, Sonny? Absolutely. So inside doesn't take it out of the contention, huh? Nope. Wow. Nope. I would say Sammy's one of those guys, 80 to 85% of everything he does, I love. It's Sammy that makes it for me. But knowing what I know about you, you really don't like the bullshit songs. And Inside is really just a bullshit song. I like the kind of like the funk. I like the little bit of the funk there. It gets me. Okay. So, so, you know, we like it to connect everything to Kiss. It's time, time for your Kiss Story Moment on Rock. So, 5150 was released on March 24th, 1986. Kiss was actually on a day off because they were on the asylum tour at this point. They had 15 dates left, and the next gig was going to be at Evansville, Indiana, with King Cobra opening, by the way. The set list was Detroit Rock City, Fits Like a Glove, Creatures of the Night, Cold Gin, and then Bruce got a solo. Uh, All Night, then they went to an Eric solo. They went to War Machine, Love Gun, I Still Love You, Gene did a solo. I Love It Loud, then Paul did a stupid solo. Then Heaven's on Fire, Rock and Roll Night. And on this night, they did a medley that had Beth, I Was Made for Loving You, and Shout It Out Loud together. And then their closing songs were Tears Are Falling and Lick It Up. So that's a pretty interesting set list. You got to remember on the Asylum Tour, they weren't doing a lot of the old hits because they were trying to be a new band. And, you know, why play a normal Kiss version? So for the historic moment, we're going to go with a band from Oslo, Norway called Diabla off of 2005's Gods of Thunder, a Norwegian tribute to Kiss. Here is Diabla's version of Uh All Night.
You guys ever heard that song? I've never heard of that band at all. We've done a lot of stuff off this uh, Norwegian tribute to Kiss record over the years. Yeah, I've never heard of this band. And when I went to listen to this song, it actually took me to a Diablo record that has this on it. It wasn't the Kiss tribute record. It was a Diablo record. And I don't know if all the stuff on that record is covers or whether they just know it's original stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I liked it. It didn't offend me in, in any way. Yeah, it's pretty good to me. I'd like to check out is the rest of the record. I mean, is their original shit any good or bad? It's not great. Okay. <laughs> BB, did you get a chance to listen to the song? I did. I enjoyed it. I thought the vocals were great. I even like the ending, how they mix it up a little bit towards the end with the with throwing a couple different vocal lines in there. I thought that was a really cool ending, but uh, I, I think it was a great job. Yeah, it's unique to me because uh, we've talked about it before. People can't do Paul. They just can't, like, if a guy tries to sing Paul, can't do it right. So if you're going to do a Paul song, you almost have to change the melody to make it your own. And then when a girl does it, which we've seen and heard a lot of uh, female versions of Paul songs, they don't have the swagger and the sexy, so they can't sell it. Somehow, this band did all right, though, which I was surprised on. Yeah, she was she was a very good vocalist. You know, I'm in the same boat as, as Steven. I have never heard these guys before. Girls have a way of covering Paul a little bit better, though. They usually come off a little bit better than when a guy tries to cover Paul for some reason. I posted that one video. I think it was for um, I Was Made for Loving You by the two Russian girls that are super sexy. That version yeah. is killer, man. I love that version. Like the heavy guitar and stuff. I absolutely love that version. Some of the covers that those two girls do are amazing i think they're killer and they they definitely bring the sexy back <laughs> so overall 5150 i mean really it's uh it's one of my favorite albums period and sammy joining van halen although for many was like oh my god my band is dying i was looking at it going oh my god sammy's gonna join a big band it's gonna be huge then he comes back and does a couple of those solo records. I'm like, oh, my God, we're getting Sammy's shit, too? This is awesome. So I was as happy as happy could be. BB, what, what did you become a Van Hagar guy at that time and just stop listening to Van Halen afterwards or what? No, I'm, I still, if you said I could take five albums to an island, I would take 1984 and 5150. Like, that's how stuck I am in this Van Halen debate that we that we always go to. I love the different sounds. But it's always that guitar that just sucks me right in. It, it teeters. Like it, it, Sammy and Dave, for me, it's, I think it's the age. I think it's where I kind of got into them. I understand, I understand how, how Steven and, and Righty, they're all, you know, Dave guys, because that's what they grew up. They had albums under their belt. They knew it, you know. And back then, I didn't really have that avenue to go down of having all these records. I didn't know their back catalog until, until later. So, I think every once in a while it always teeters, but I teeter more towards the Sammy era stuff. Righty's stupid. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Out of format. You are so out of format, Pooney. You bastard. He hasn't come around still, but <laughs> yeah. Steven, I know you've come around on this 5150. Can you pinpoint when you were willing to give it a true shot and you actually came around and said, all right, that's all right. Yeah, and it wasn't till much later, and it'll be interesting for the listeners to go on a, this ride with us because 
my path will be revealed over the course of the next few album reviews because I did not come around to Van Halen, Van Hagar till much later. And there was an album in the Van Halen catalog that bought me around. And I'll talk about that when we get there. But at this point, I just left it all behind. I didn't want to hear. I moved on to, you know, the Sunset Strip by this time and was into the Rats, the Motley Crews, and anything else that was coming out, the Warrants and Poisons, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I just, I buried Van Halen when Dave left. I mean, I, I was a Dave fan. I did do the eat them and smile thing. And uh, he kind of lost me at Skyscraper a little bit. And uh, I kept listening to the first six Van Halen records, basically. Yeah, what was interesting here, and you know, San Francisco and LA has always had this thing right going between them, and the Sunset Strip was so hot that any time a Bay Area band got some play or made some movement, it seemed like us guys that were living here, it was like a badge of honor that Eric Martin was having success in Mr. Big, and that Sammy was having success in Van Halen, and that Night Ranger was having top 10 songs. Like it was kind of cool because we already knew Journey and all that was having that stuff. But all you heard here was L.A., L.A., L.A. And then people started driving down to L.A. to go see shows. I'm like, damn, guys, just protect your own. L.A.'s got their own thing, right? But uh, so for me, it was almost like a, a proud papa type moment because it was coming from my area. And I think that only enhanced it for me. Bay Area Poonie through and through. <laughs> BB, before we leave again, the Potter Than Hell podcast released every Friday afternoon. You guys are not far off of what Grown Up Rock does. It's the the four of you guys, uh, and you sit around and talk rock and roll and come up with different themes and things like that, top 10 list, et cetera, et cetera. And so you guys uh, are basically the brother-sister podcast to growing up rock uh there's a lot of rock podcasts out there these days but if you want to listen to people being real then potter and hell podcast is yours because those guys don't get any realer <laughs> bunch of firemen <laughs> sitting around talking about lizzie borden and oh god <laughs> you know I told you, everybody from ACDC to ZZ Top, yeah. you know, we cover it all. Including Fog Hat. I heard more Fog Hat references from uh, Steve Wright than I think I've ever heard. He's on the Fog Hat um, Blue Oyster Cult um, listening binge up there. So There's some you know. Fog Hat fans out there. Rick Friel. Oh, yeah. Rick Friel has uh, is turned me on to a bunch of Fog Hat and gave me a bunch of stuff to listen to. And I got to admit, I mean, I'm just not that familiar with them. I know who they are, and I'll go back and check out some of that stuff uh, when I get the opportunity to do it because uh, I definitely uh, have a soft spot in my heart for those uh, classic 70s bands like that. So there's a few right. of them that I'm just not that familiar with the grand funk railroads and the, uh, fog hats and the bands that are in that little bit of a, a groove where uh rock and roll hadn't quite hit me yet. You know? Right. Well, Sonny, it's another Van Halen record in the books. Next, we move on to OU812 from the Van Halen catalog. And we'll hear what, our guest has to say about that record and what I have to say. And you've given your opinion before in other places, but we'll give you the opportunity to give it again and run the show here next time with that. BB, you have anything else you want to pass on? 
No, I honestly, once again, I want to thank you guys for having me on. This was a great topic. You know, uh, kudos to you guys for doing this, you know, keeping, you know, the Van Halen catalog going, you know, with, with Eddie passing, it just keeps that music playing like that picture that floats around social media. All you have to do is push play and just let it go. Because, you know, if, if you're a Dave fan, if you're a Sammy fan, heck, even if you're a Sharon fan, that album still has great stuff on it. It's just great music. Just push play and enjoy the Van Halen music. Yeah, I think this uh, this monthly album review for the entire 2021 year has been a little bit lethargic for myself, but also for a lot of the listeners. I've gotten some very nice feedback, some very nice emails, and uh, very nice social media posts and things like that. So I love it. I'm glad. And we're having a good time doing it as well. Sonny, you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here? I uh, know. Just want to thank the fans for all of the crazy feedback. Sometimes we get some crazy feedback, um, but we appreciate you connecting and thanks for listening. <laughs> thank you, BB. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you, all the grown up rock listeners. And thank you to the Loud Minority Facebook group. We will see you next month with OU812. Until then, check out our weekly episodes at Drop. See ya later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Suckers walk, money talks, but it can't touch my three lock box. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 